0: Sri Lankan protesters occupy the homes of the president and prime minister, but neither man has officially resigned. There are negotiations to form a unity government, but will they have answers to the huge economic and social problems? I'm Imran Khan, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests. They're all joining us from Sri Lanka's capital, Colombo. Nishan Demel is an economist and executive director of Verite Research. Ganeshan Vignaraja is a senior research associate for the Overseas Development Institute, ODI Global. And Virakon Vijay Wardena is a former deputy governor of the Central Bank of Sri Lanka and a columnist for the Daily Financial Times. A warm welcome to you all. I'd like to start with uh, Ganeshan. Ganeshan, here we are. We have a situation where the Prime Minister and the President have disappeared, effectively. We don't know where they are exactly. Uh, They have said they're going to resign, but under the Sri Lanka's constitution, they can't resign until they give a letter to the Speaker of the Parliament. So, effectively, they're still in charge. Are they banking on the fact that these these protests may well dissipate and they can remain in charge?
1: I, I don't think so. I think we have now a process where these leaders are exiting the scene and we will have a new government, an interim government that should be formed hopefully on the 20th of this month, and that will be a president hopefully coming through election from parliament and then some sort of interim cabinet. My hope is that this is a very slimmed down cabinet that will stay in power for a limited period, after which we will have some elections and a new mandate for a government for a longish period. In the interim, this interim government must continue with the IMF programme, which is essential for Sri Lanka to come out of this crisis and ensure that we have a proper democratic transition with a respect for the rule of law.
0: Well, let me bring in now, uh, Virakon. Khan. this um, is something that Sri Lankans have been worried about for many decades now, this idea of corruption, this idea of financial mismanagement. Are the chickens coming home to roost effectively? Was this always on the cards? Yeah, I think uh,
2: the present situation in Sri Lanka, as Ganeshan had just described, it's a very pathetic and acute situation. And uh, all we will have to look for is uh, restoring normals to Sri Lanka. And that would be a gigantic task for the new interim government that is to be formed. Uh, because they will have to start, I think, from uh, scratch, uh, from, from a scratch level. And as a result, uh, the uh, the, uh, the expectations of the people are so huge in the country, uh, they may not be able to meet those expectations. And I think they should have a, a pre- clearly pre-announced plan announcing a timeline for people to understand at which level, at what, uh, what uh, kind of uh, uh, delivery would be made by the new interim government. So that uh, there must be a necessity for the new interim government to have a continuous dialogue with the people of the country and also keep them into confidence when the new government uh, plans anything. So this is a gigantic task which uh, the new interim government will have to fulfill in Sri Lanka within the next six months time period until the country is suitable uh, for conducting another election to enable the people to elect their own government.
0: Nishan uh what Viracorn is talking about there seems to be managing expectations. Often when we have protest movements, it doesn't matter where they are in the world, the protesters expect a magic bullet and for everything to change overnight. That never happens. So managing expectations is absolutely crucial. But what are the challenges for this incoming government? So two things I think are quite critical, Imran. Thank you for bringing us in.
3: One is, of course, dealing with the immediate shortages of fuel. Uh, and the power cuts that are in the country that's really causing difficulty for people's lives. And I think the failure in the current government is not only that there isn't adequate supply, but there isn't adequate belief that the available supplies are being given out in a rational or uncorrupt manner. So simply managing it well and telling people the truth and setting proper systems of distribution is already going to be an improvement. The second most important challenge, I think is to deal with the deepening poverty. We expect poverty in Sri Lanka to rise above 50% by the end of the year. And it is imperative that Sri Lanka look at cash transfers for the poor and find mechanisms to target uh, the poor properly. We think that looking at electricity consumption is a great way to do that. And the technology is available to directly deliver support to people. And these are solutions that are available. And I think the current government's uh, sense of mismanagement and corruption was preventing even possible solutions from not being implemented at the at the pr- proper time. And a change in government will build a kind of credibility and hopefully a little more competence uh, to, to help Sri Lanka move in the right direction, even though the results are still slow and long time coming.
0: Uh, Ganeshan, uh, what we're talking about now then seems to be this idea that there are are concrete steps you can take, this idea of managing expectations, communicating with the country and having some easy fixes. But there is a fly in the ointment. We have these talks going out with the International Monetary Fund right now. Uh, Whenever the International Monetary Fund get involved or the World Bank get involved in a crisis They often introduce austerity measures which actually impact the most poor of that country. And again, the anger rises. Where does the IMF fit into all of this? So essentially, the IMF team was
1: here a couple of weeks ago and have left and a staff level program is to be worked out. We understand that some of the details of this program are to have tax rises across the board, Uh, Secondly, to make sure that the interest rates are much more realistic, which means upward pressure on interest rates to try to reduce inflation. And a third measure is anti-corruption measures to ensure that the administration works better and state-owned enterprises are more accountable. Now, one very important aspect of this IMF program is that they're not trying to tinker too much with state expenditure, which will stay at quite a reasonable level, thus ensuring that the anti-poverty programme that the country has uh, will be maintained. Uh, It's not a perfect programme, the Samudhi programme, but uh, can deliver some relief to the poor. On top of that, we have to have what Nishan was talking about, which is um, what they call conditional cash transfers uh, to the poorest people. And that should come through with some assistance from other multilateral donors. Now, I believe that it is hard to target This kind of program on the poorest because our targeting mechanisms aren't perhaps so uh, well developed. And uh, so if we do these things right and gradually get the economy on some stable footing, uh, some kind of return to growth may occur. This year we will have negative growth, which will be a terrible phenomenon for us. But hopefully next year and the year after we'll have some kind of growth. And growth is a very powerful mechanism for this country to gradually create the jobs it needs for its youth and also gradually create some kind of return slowly to a a sort of a prosperous country. And I I think this is doable if we do the right things right now. Now, of course, political will is essential Mm. and this new government will have huge expectations upon it.
0: Uh, this government will have huge expectations upon it. That's quite a strong statement there from uh, uh, Ganeshan. Uh, let's just talk to Vera Khan uh, at the moment. Often when the IMF get involved and this is a question I do want to ask you uh, because you were the deputy governor of the central bank. Uh, austerity measures are brought in. we're talking about tax rises there uh, and things of that nature. It's often the middle class that get hit uh, with those things. Uh, Sri Lanka's middle class is already, under attack and has been for so you know several years now because of uh, the corruption in the country how much of this is going to impact them and how much of this is going to be unpopular amongst voters
2: well of course not only the middle class of the country the people of all income levels in sri lanka would be affected by the a new uh, posterity program which IMF is planning to implement in Sri Lanka. As a result, as I have mentioned earlier, it is necessary for the new government to uh, communicate with the people the correct position, get their views at every stage of the new uh, measures that they are going to implement, and for that purpose, they have to get their support. For example, now... The one of the requirements for the IMF is this uh, debt restructuring, which has to be a uh, precondition for the IMF bailout. But in addition to that, there are many other uh, requirements which the IMF has insisted on. Uh, one important thing is that the government should consolidate its budget, which means that the budget deficit will be brought to an affordable level by increasing the revenue as well as cutting down the expenditure, except what is meant for the poor people. Now, in this case, the new government that is to be formed uh, after 20 years, hopefully, uh, will have a gigantic task because our treasury is, is empty. Not only Actually, it is empty. It is negative. For example, mm. in terms of the constitution of Sri Lanka, uh, we have a consolidated fund into which all the monies of the government would uh, be, be credited and all expenses will have to be done by debiting that particular consolidated fund. That particular concentrated fund is negative. It is overdrawn to the extent of uh, nearly 2 billion Sri Lanka rupees. In addition to that, uh, there is again uh, nearly 1, 1 trillion Sri Lanka rupees uh, has to be uh, had been overdrawn by the government by way of overdraft from the two state banks mm. and the central bank. Right. So altogether, the government's finances are in fact negative. And the the new government will have to start from the negative position and convert it to a positive position and which is the biggest task that they have to co- accomplish during their uh, period
0: i have to say all three of you sound like you're very realistic about what the future holds but you also seem to be quite help, uh, hopeful if you know the government can manage expectations if it communicates if it takes certain measures then perhaps this is a crisis that the government can get itself out of, the new incoming government can get itself out of. But I want to talk about the old government, Nishandar Mel. How did the Rajapaksas manage to mess up what was quite a strong economy so spectacularly? So I think um, what we can see and learn from Sri Lanka's
3: experience is that a few wrong moves, unchecked, Uh, can lead a country into very dangerous, irrevocably downward spirals in terms of its economics. Take one example, Uh, the president banned chemical fertiliser overnight and claimed that he was going to make agriculture based exclusively on organic fertiliser in one year. That was a crazy policy by any account. And I think the unaccountability of the president, that he ruled as if he was running an authoritarian state, allowed him to make very bad policies and prevent the democratic mechanisms to correct them. We know that, you know, one of the things that democracies are good at is preventing extremely bad policies. That's why famines never occur in democracies. Uh, And I think the unchecked bad decision-making on tax cuts on continuing to pay creditors while reserves were going to zero, on banning chemical fertilizer and destroying productivity in the agriculture sector. All these things compounded uh, to bring Sri Lanka into this disastrous economic state that it is now. And undergirding that is corruption. Mm. Uh, one of the things we must ask of the IMF is that uh, it is macro critical. Uh, to deal with corruption, if you want to fix the Sri Lankan economy, or we will be back where we are in a few years' time. Uh, the Attorney General proved unreliable and in political capture by reversing much of the indictments against politicians that were already in court. Mm. So we need an independent corruption prosecuting office. Asset declarations cannot be secret. The IMF in many countries has asked for them to be transparent as a condition of its support. And Sri Lanka will need, and this is the last thing I'll say, an anti-corruption office that is supported by an external agency such as the United Nations, because Sri Lankan politicians on both sides have so far proved unreliable when it comes to taking action on corruption, and taking action on corruption is a fundamental
0: part of the fix for the Sri Lankan economy going forward. Uh, Ganeshan, seeing the Rajapaksas in the dock, seeing this anti-corruption courts take place, people held accountable, court cases happen, is that a dream? Do you think that could happen?
1: No, I don't think so. I think it's possible to change institutions and structures, as we have seen in other courts of East Asia. On this uh, issue of foreign aid and assistance that we are going to get both humanitarian and IMF, we have to make sure we do two things to ensure that this is properly effective. The first is we must make sure that all of this aid goes right throughout the country, that it goes right from Jaffna to the east coast, to the deep south, to the central part of Sri Lanka. It shouldn't just be provided to Colombo and Gampaha, which is the central uh, part of the country with the economic center. The second very important thing, as Nishan has said, is that the aid should be fully accounted for. Every dollar that is given to Sri Lanka should be properly accounted for and looked after, and there should be very, very low admin uh, overhead on that money, and certainly the siphoning off, uh, which had occurred in the past, should be very carefully checked. The risk, if we do not do this properly, is that countries where taxpayers are providing money for Sri Lanka will get fed up with us, and they will not be so generous, and that will be a humanitarian disaster for Sri Lanka and the people of Sri Lanka. So one expects this new government to have very, very strong anti-corruption policy and be very honest with the people about how it's spending foreign aid, not just for the people of Sri Lanka, but also for foreigners whose taxpayers are uh, providing funds for Sri Lanka to rescue it from this calamity that we ourselves have brought upon us, at least partly.
0: Uh, Vido Korn, we're talking now about a strong anti-corruption policy. Surely a part of that is holding the people who were corrupt to account, putting the Roger Paxes on trial. Do you think that could ever happen?
2: Well, of course, you know, there is another dimension now that has just uh, emerged uh, for the IMF bailout package. The US Foreign Relations Committee in a Twitter message about a week ago had announced that there are three other conditions should be satisfied by Sri Lanka to get this IMF bailout package. One is the central bank should be made independent. Number two is what uh, both Ganeshan and Nisan had been uh, explaining to us now. Second one is the uh, the uh, there should be rule of law, observance of the rule of law. Third one is there must be an effective anti-corruption program uh, to be implemented by Sri Lanka in order to qualify for the IMF bailout package. So what it means is that the new government has no choice now. Whatever the difficulties that they have, they will have to have a very quick and fast uh, legal reform. As uh, Nishant had said, the attorney general had been captured by the uh, politicians in the past, that uh, attorney general should be freed. At the same time, the law enforcement agencies should be freed. And the uh, anti-corruption body that we have already set up, had been uh, its powers have been diluted by the 20th amendment to the constitution, which Bhotabhiraj had implemented. So, all these things have to be reversed very quickly in order to enable Sri Lanka to satisfy the donors. Because Ganesan uh, has very correctly said that in addition to the IEF money, we need this humanitarian aid also mm, as right. quickly as possible. If these, if these things are, are not done, I don't think the humanitarian aid would flow into Sri Lanka.
0: Nishan, I've covered the Middle East and South Asia for many, many, many years. I've seen what the IMF can do when they do come into a country. Uh, They come in with everything that you guys have just said. They come in with austerity measures, anti-corruption measures, the promise of a lot of money coming in. And then they are faced with a government that simply doesn't change. Now, your thesis seems to be that this next incoming government, although it has a challenge on its hands, can change. But there's a lot of people that are looking at Sri Lanka now going, it's still a lot of the same faces that will be in charge. Can this government change? Thank you, Imran. Um, It
3: is a, a very serious concern that Sri Lankans don't trust most parliamentarians. And I think for the sake of the credibility of government, it's not enough for the government to change leadership and hands today. We need an election and we need it as fast as possible. It is only a newly elected government in which new people who are part of the protest can also compete and come into parliament that will finally have adequate legitimacy in Sri Lanka to drive the reforms as well as the measures that are needed for economic recovery going forward. I think that the culture of our politics which has been seeped in corruption and incompetence, is what young people have decried today. Mm. And they need a chance to exercise their vote to say and say, we want something different. And, and
0: that is the cry of the people, which I think has to be heeded as soon as possible. Ganesh, there is the argument who made that Sri Lanka is a robust democracy. It does have democratic procedures and institutions in place. Is it robust enough to do what the three of you are saying needs to be done? I think my sense is that we have to at least try to try
1: to create a new beginning for Sri Lanka. And I personally see Sri Lanka as a kind of a post-conflict state, which is still having the legacy of a long 30 year old conflict and its institutions have been affected by this long conflict. And we are now trying to rebuild uh, going forward. And in that process, we're going to have to do something very rapidly. You know, one of the really terrible things that I'm seeing is these long queues at the passport office where the young people of Sri Lanka want to leave. I mean, there are those protesting, but most of the skilled are leaving. And that's a terrible tragedy for a country that has an aging society. And if this continues, we will be much poorer in the future. So I think there's no choice but for us to actually begin to reinvent. And I think we need to have a smaller government in the future a government that's much more capable of delivering public services, providing a rule of law and proper macroeconomic management. And the private sector will have to also play a much more responsible role going forward. And there'll have to be a lot of emphasis on corporate government and corporate social responsibility. So I think we need to begin to think about a new social contract um, and also enforcing the democratic principles that we want. And we have to avoid capture, either mm-hmm. crony capitalism or yep. governmental capture in the way that we've had in this last uh, period with the Rajapaksa family basically uh, ruling the roost.
0: I want to thank all our guests, Nishan Debel, Ganesh Vignaraja, Raja and Virakun Vijay Wardena. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. The episode was produced by Calvin N, Osama Aloni, Fungi Nugan, Abbas Asim and Jimmy Getaham. Studio sound was by Yasser Rahmani. And the program was edited by Ahmed Jazoli, Lynn Enwin and Joe Defrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. And thank you for listening. We'll be back with you on Tuesday.